the wife uh, singing in there passed away a couple of years ago uh, a little too soon uh, at the age of 40 from cancer and uh, leaving kids and a husband behind. So uh, that that's something that's, that's going to tie in with our uh, message this morning even. But uh, we're going to do something a little bit differently this morning, I think you can recognize. Uh, we've, we've been blessed with uh, some, some resources, uh, both in order to uh, get the TV and cart, and uh, as we go forward to the end of March, you're going to be hearing more about this thing called Right Now Media. Uh, there was a meeting on it Wednesday night. Uh, on the 31st, we're going to be doing our launch Sunday, and there will be more coming on that in the coming weeks. But uh, one of the resources that we have access to right now, with Right Now, is uh, there are sermon illustrations available, and there is, based on the scripture that uh, I'm using this morning, I want to give this video intro before we uh, go into this message and the scripture and kind of look at it uh, from a little bit of today's perspective. So we're going to try this and make sure that everything works. that it 
was just a high dosage of fentanyl. Basically, fentanyl intoxication is what took her. So that morning, um, we woke up, time went on, her dad started texting her, I was texting her, where are you, we've got to go. I looked out the window and saw a sheriff car pull up. He got out of the car and he wasn't even talking, he just was crying. He basically said, let's just go in and talk. So I walk in and I remember I instantly punched the wall, I was so angry. I was like, seriously, how is this happening again? My father, my two brothers, no my daughter. You know, of course, going through all these tragedies, you wonder, like, what am I doing wrong? Am I a bad person? What did I do to deserve this? Why us? You know, because you get a whole, I won't can't give you more than you can handle. And you, you think you're a strong person, and then your body's slammed with another tragedy. It's just blindsides you and just makes you really wonder, you know, is there a God? If there is, why? Why does all this continue happening? This morning our passage is going to be from Luke chapter 11, or sorry, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Some of your Bibles may title this as, Jesus Raises a Widow's Son. Soon afterward he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died had, was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the, the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his, his people. And this report about him spread through the whole country of Judea and the surrounding country. Welcome to Bloomingdale, friends. This week we're going to be looking at another of Jesus' miracles as we go through the ministry of Jesus leading up to the time of Easter and the Passion narrative of the cross. So... Today's message, if you see it in your bulletin and on the sign out front, is the woman who had the choice to give up or go on. Because as we see this passage, coming into this passage, it's a state of hopelessness, of loss. And then it shifts to watching Jesus do what only Jesus can do. So this week, this week we... We have a little bit of a turn from what we've looked at the last couple of weeks with looking at Nicodemus and looking at the woman at the well. This is the first time that we have recorded in the Gospels that Jesus raised the dead. And it's the only time he did not do it on a Sabbath. So up to this point, we see him controlling nature uh, with the miraculous catch of fish. We see him uh, teaching. We see him uh, healing the sick and teaching the crowds, and providing, and controlling nature. But at this point, he decides to control death. So, he gives, he gives hope in this message of, can I handle any more loss? When he comes up to this woman who has experienced great loss. So, 
as we go into this passage, we do have to kind of remove our 20th century Midwestern America lenses and look at what was going on with this woman and her family and in this community in the first century AD under Roman rule in Galilee. So what does this look like through the eyes of a first century Jew? As we look at this, we've got to see, you know, what does it look like there? But a good place to start is where did this happen? Where is this town? What does this area look like that this took place? So we'll start there. Uh, the first question we answer is, you know, we look at where, where has Jesus gone? Where is he at now? So we see that in the passage that immediately precedes this, he's in Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then he heals the servant of the Roman centurion in verses 9 and 10. And we see that Jesus marveled at the faith of the Roman centurion. And he spoke the word. He didn't, he didn't touch to heal. He spoke the word and he said, your servant's going to be made well because of your faith. And he goes home and the servant's well. And Jesus goes on down the road, basically. We don't know the time period. We don't know next day, same day, a month later. We don't, we don't know for absolute sure. But we know the next place that's recorded is this village called Nain. Um, it's about a day's walk from Capernaum. So uh, we do know that amount. And we know that the village of Nain is a very small town. It's to the south and the west of Capernaum. So it would be off of the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's located near a mountain called Mount Tabor, which was an important mountain in that area. There were a lot of villages around the foot of it, and Nain was one of them. Uh, there is actually still a village uh, called Nain, and the Arabs renamed it to N-E-I-N instead of N-A-I-N, but the same pronunciation. So it, it was near Nazareth, not far from Nazareth, so it's not far from where Jesus grew up as well. So that, that's something that becomes important in, in this context as well. So we join this passage. We have Jesus and a multitude of followers, including his disciples. And that's one crowd, but there's another crowd approaching them. The other crowd is a funeral procession. You know, we, we think of flashing lights and flags on a hearse, and it's not quite like that in Jewish customs. Um, it was a large funeral procession, uh, a group of mourners. Usually in the Jewish culture, if there was a very important person that died, uh, say like a governor or a king or a noble of some sort, uh, you would have huge, huge crowds and you would even have paid mourners that would join that procession to make it look like that person made a huge impact on everybody around. Look at the crowd that's basically seeing them off. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be the case here. It just says there's a large crowd. Um, we know that they're mourning the loss of a young man whose life was lost too soon. It says in here that he was the only son of a woman who was a widow. So this is going to be important in a little bit as well. According to the commentaries of both Barnes and Clark, the Jews had a practice. They would bury their dead outside the city. Uh, that, that was something that was prescribed in Jewish law, and it was uh, very important, and it was followed with the exception of very important people like princes and kings. Uh, 
Or, in some cases, there's record of if they were in the lineage of King David, sometimes they would be buried within the city. But that was, those were the exceptions to that rule. But most cases, the cemeteries were outside the city. Uh, this was primarily for health reasons, because they did not want the general public in a walled-in city or a small, compact village exposed to whatever would be health risks from being in the presence of a decomposing body in rocky soil that was not buried terribly deep. So this is, this is one of the things that when God gave this law to, the, to Moses, God was looking out for his people. They didn't ask, why do you have us do this, Lord? They just followed, and that's what they did. But it was a case of God looking out for his people. God knew that there was a public health risk there, so they did it. I do find it interesting, both in Barnes and Clark's commentaries that were both written in the 1800s, they made mention of this practice that the Jews had during that time period, and they contrasted it to the Christians of the Middle Ages and later, where the Jews, they would take the the dead to bury outside of the city, where by the time of the Middle Ages, the Christians had taken the dead into the city and even into the churches to bury them. And both, both of these commentators spoke out against that practice, saying, this is a bad thing. This is not good for us. Um, and they didn't even have, being in the 1800s, didn't even have all of the information that we have today about diseases and germs and know, how, how infections spread. So I thought that was very interesting that that contrast was there. So that's something that we look at this practice of the Jews. They went outside the city. We see in verses 11 through 12 that the funeral is the widow of the only, for the only son of a widow. We don't know the name of the widow. We don't know her background. We don't know uh, what her profession was, what her husband did. We don't know. It's just a widow that lost her only son. So according to John Gill's notes, um, it proves by how it's worded that this was a grown man. It was not an uh, infant or toddler based on how it was described, how they were carrying him out of town, because there were different practices used for infants and toddlers in, in Jewish law. It also refers to this, this person as a man, so he could have been 13 and up. Uh, in that culture, at 13, you were bar mitzvahed, and you were declared a man, and you could either uh, continue on in the Jewish education system if you were good enough, and you were the right family uh, to be a priest, scribe, or Pharisee, or if you weren't seen as good enough, you were told at that point to go home and learn the trade of your father, and you were apprenticed to your father. Well, this was a man that had apparently lost his father at some point, so we don't we don't know a lot of background there. But we do know that there was a large crowd in the procession. And it's something that Gill points out. That means maybe she was very respected in the community. She was very known in the community if there was a large crowd. Because typically commoners who died, it was a very small procession as opposed to the large processions of kings, nobles, Pharisees, etc. So where we go from here is... The best part of every message that involves Jesus doing what Jesus does. Because we could kind of take the next verse and say, and then Jesus shows up. Because that's where we get this. Because the, this woman, she was a widow, she was in dire straits, she'd lost her only son, she'd already lost her husband, and in that time, women didn't have rights. The way that they do in our culture. They could not vote, they typically could not own land unless they were very, very rich. 
So her prospects now for even survival had gotten to be very slim as a result of loss stacked upon loss. So that's where I kind of got the, the idea and the title for this message of give up or go on. Because Constable, he explains the situation this way. Friends were carrying the corpse out of the city gate to bury it outside of the town, as was customary. The fact that the widow now had no surviving husband or son meant that she was in desperate circumstances economically as well as emotionally. She probably would become destitute without someone to provide for her needs. So this woman, not only was she burying her son after she had buried her husband, she was essentially burying her lifestyle as she knew it. Because she, at some point she was going to run out of means to care for herself. So she was at the place of rock bottom. And it was through nothing she had any control over. Just like Karen in this video that we watched. Uh, things just kept piling up and happening one after the other. That's what was going on with this, uh, with this widow. She could have just given up and said, okay, my life's a failure. I'm done. And gave up. Um, and then Jesus shows up. In the 1500s, John Calvin, in his commentary, he writes something that is incredibly intelligent and incredibly applicable to us even today. He says, We ought to know, therefore, that this young man, whom Christ raised from the dead, is an emblem of the spiritual life which he restores to us. The name of the city contributes to the certainty of the history. The same purpose is served by what Luke says, that a great multitude from every direction followed him. For Christ had many attendants along with him, and many persons accompanied the woman as a mark of respect to the internment of her son. The resurrection of this young man was beheld by so many witnesses that no doubt could be entertained as to its truth. There was the additional circumstance of, of it being a crowded place, for we know that public assemblies were held at the gates. The dead man was carried out of the city, was in accordance with a very ancient custom among all nations. So, what... Calvin is saying is that there is a spiritual application here that we can see that. We can see that once we were dead before we met Christ, before Jesus showed up, and he raised us to life through him. Gill points out another situation. Usually, if you see Jesus taking practice in his ministry in the Gospels, you see a situation and the disciples come to him and say, help Jesus, this is going on. Or he goes to the person and says, what's wrong? When he knows full well what's wrong, because he's God. But at this point, he doesn't, he doesn't wait for them to say, Jesus, this woman, she's lost everything. He steps right in and shows compassion. He sees a need. And takes action right then and right there. He, he, Gill's uh, commentary says, He said to her, Weep not, signifying that he would help her, which he did without being asked to, as usual in most other cases. So Jesus did something here that not only was it the first time he raised someone from the dead, but it was very unusual that he stepped in without somebody asking him to. Jesus speaks to the widow. And at this point, she is at that give up or go on moment. She can either be overcome by her grief and say, you know, it's over, it's done, I give up, I, I've got nothing else. What can you do for me? And be overcome by bitterness, grief, but she doesn't. 
She takes comfort. Bible teacher Beth Moore, uh, she calls these types of situations uh, bitter or better moments. How you respond, it can either make you bitter or it can make you better. You have the choice. This is the same situation. This is that point that the widow is at. In verse 14, Jesus does what no one else would, mainly because no one else could. Because he goes up and he touches the, the passage says a beer, uh, B-I-E-R, not B-E-E-R, totally different things. Um, but it is a, a platform that has slats on it, whether through wood or whether through leather, and the, the body wrapped for burial is placed on that, similar to how you would have pallbearers carrying the casket on a rod. But this is, this is a platform that the body was on, and men would carry it with the poles on it on their shoulder as they left town. So Jesus goes up and touches it, which in Jewish customs, he did a bad thing. Because in Jewish customs, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. You have a period of time that you're unclean, that you have to be away from everybody else. Uh, and then after that time has passed, to make sure that you have not gotten any sickness from that, then you can go and show yourself to the priest and say, hey, can I be clean again? I'm not sick, I'm not dying because I touched a dead body. So Jesus goes up, he stops the procession, he touches the casket to make sure that they stop which immediately makes him unclean. Did Jesus care? No, he goes on. But you can imagine the gasps in the crowd because they're watching this and they're going, what is he doing? This guy's a rabbi, this guy's a teacher, he should know better. He goes up and he touches it. And then Constable, he agrees that there may be some expectation there because not only did they see something unusual that Jesus was getting ready to do, but there, there may have been some expectation because Jesus was from that area. He was known in that area already at that point. So maybe word had spread. Here's what Constable says. Jesus expressed his compassion, but his act also rendered him ritually unclean. Probably his action told the bearers he wanted to do something, so they stopped. Undoubtedly, the residents of Nain knew Jesus, and his reputation was probably another reason why they stopped. This was the first time Jesus restored to life someone who had died, according to gospel records. The touch itself didn't raise the young man, but it was his command that raised the young man. Because you see him touch the casket, and then he speaks, and then the young man sits up to respond. So, at work we were talking about this this week, uh, me and a co-worker, and the question came up, if Jesus did something to make himself ritually unclean, if the person's no longer dead, is he still unclean? We had fun with that question, but that's, that's, what, that's what was going on. Because the young man, he sits up and responds. Can you imagine the reaction of the crowd? Can you imagine being sitting in that crowd knowing something was going to happen and then that? Because this, this young man was prepared for burial. He was all wrapped up and then it just sits up. So you can say a lot of things about Jesus. But only Jesus could ruin a funeral. The response of the people we see in the passage that it was great rejoicing. And 
probably done more than the mother. First, she had her son back. Second, she had her lifestyle back. In that order. Because it says Jesus gave the son to his mother. That parallels a passage when Jesus is on the cross and he looks down to his mother and uh, tells, basically tells John, take care of her. You know, behold your son. Because I'm gone, this man's going to take care of you. So, there was this woman in that give up or go on, she had been rescued. She had been given hope. Her dead son was made alive again. The people in the crowd, they said, we've seen a prophet. Now, there's a lot of cultural significance here. You could get really deep into the weeds, but I want to stay on track. But there are some things that we cannot ignore about this passage. The fourfold gospel commentary points out that there's a huge significance to the people saying that. Because there was, a, as we looked at in our Christmas series, there was a general desire that had been going on for 400 years that the Messiah would come. But before the Messiah would come, it said a prophet would come to, to pave the way. So the people in Nain, they may or may not have heard of or known of John the Baptist. They may or may not have accepted him. And we know, having the whole Old Old and New Testament, and we know, having studied it, that John was the prophesied forerunner. These people may, may or may not have known or accepted that fact, so they saw Jesus as the forerunner that was going to bring on the Messiah. They were, they were off. Uh, the fourfold gospel says this. Expectation of the return of one of the prophets was that at that time widely spread. That they should esteem Jesus as no more than a prophet was no wonder, for not... For as yet, even his apostles had not yet confessed him as the Christ. In state and conduct, Jesus appeared to them to be too humble to fulfill the popular ideas of messiahship. But in wisdom and miracle, he outshone all God's former messengers. The visiting of God refers to the long absence of the more strikingly miraculous powers of God as exercised through the prophets. None had raised the dead since the days of Elisha. And this is going to be important in a minute. So we look at that through our lens of culture. Like I said, we see John came and paved the way. Jesus came. He's the Messiah. We know that. We can see the prophecies fulfilled as we see the New Testament. And we see what Jesus is about to do and how he fulfilled those prophecies. These people didn't have that to build off of. So they were waiting for either Elijah to return or waiting for a prophet. And in how the Jews had taught and the Pharisees, they thought the Messiah was going to be this huge military leader, this bodacious personality that was going to kick out Rome. They would have their kingdom of Israel on earth and everybody would be happy and the Jews would kind of get to do what they kept do were doing. Jesus turned all that on his head because he was not the Messiah that they thought they were going to get. So... The crowd at name, they didn't know what to think entirely of Jesus. They thought maybe he was a prophet. They knew that God was in this because he had raised the dead. Now, how I said this area is very important is fourfold gospel mentions that the dead had not been raised since the days of Elisha. Well, some would immediately draw that connection. In 2 Kings 4, with Elisha raising the son of the Shunammite woman. We know the story. Elisha raises this widow's son. 
who had died. Guess where Shunem is? About two miles from Nain. On the foot, at the foot of the same mountain. So that area, they would know. Because when Elisha had visited there, they had, they would, it would be passed down orally through generations that God visited this place and raised a child from the dead. Did Jesus know that those parallels would not be missed in that passage? We don't know for absolute sure, but it seems more likely than not that it was more than just a coincidence. Uh, Dr. Drew Sargent, he, he casts this passage as Jesus fulfilling an Old Testament type of Elijah or Elisha. He makes, he makes comment that the accident of this miracle is questionable. Jesus travels 25 miles into Elisha land and happens on a funeral that he might have missed by 10 minutes in either direction. In fact, this miracle stands out. It's one of six healings instigated by Jesus. The other five were all Sabbath day healings. So this was an entirely different thing. Constable agrees with this. He says the incident doubtless became basis for many people concluding that Jesus was either the fulfillment of the prophecy about Elijah's return or Elijah himself. Hopefully, it brought others into saving faith in him. So as we close this passage, we look at what this looks like. And verses 17 and 18 is if you... As you read the end of this passage, it says that the word of Christ's teachings and his miracles spread far and wide throughout Judea. And it caused more crowds to follow and to see more healings and miracles. And that's where we're going to leave this passage this week, but we're going to shift gears to how does this apply to us 2,000 years later in the middle of America in an entirely different language and culture? So how we can answer that question is, is multiple ways. So how does this apply to us? Well, like the last couple of weeks, the passages that we looked at, it depends on where you're sitting. We talked about that with Nicodemus. We talked about that with the woman at the well. So it depends on where you're sitting, how this applies to you. Are you in the same place as the widow, trying to determine whether you give up or go on? You know, you've seen everything that piles on top of, on top of, on top of, on top of, and, and loss, failure, defeat financial room, whatever it is. Has hope left you on the side of the road with a flat tire and no spare? Maybe that's where you sit this morning. Are you mulling that bitter or better question? Do you just need Jesus to show up and give you hope? Maybe you're in the same place as the funeral procession. Your morning days passed. You've seen what God can do, but it's been a long time since he showed up. You look at the good old days, and you heard about things that he's done in the past, but you need a fresh word from God. You know, you know that through the history of this area, God has done some moves in this area. God has done some things in this area. But what's he doing now? You know, maybe you're in the same position as that funeral possession that they were, they had all been waiting for the prophet to come that would signal the come of the Messiah. And here the Messiah was right in their midst, and they didn't, they didn't even know it. Maybe you've not seen God's move in your lifetime, but you're longing to personally experience his move. Maybe you're in the same place as the disciples. You're following Christ wherever he leads, whatever that means, even when it doesn't make sense. You know, if you're following this teacher, and he says, hey, let's go to a funeral. 
okay, I don't know what this means, God, but we'll go. We, could, we can see it doesn't make sense, but we can see his move and we're following. So maybe it's an encouragement to follow in faith this morning. Maybe it's an encouragement that, you know, God, I don't know where you're going with, with all this that's going on in this church, but wherever you lead, I'll go. I'm in. I'm all in. It may not make sense. It may look goofy. We may do some funny things to show love to the people in our community, but God's in, and we're in. And let's, let's go down this road together. Are you in the same place as the sun? Spiritually dead, left for dead, given up on, lights out, it's over. But God has a different plan. He has grace. He has mercy that he shows that we don't deserve. Showing that God's not done with you. He's ready for another chapter. And show, he's ready to show you that you have a plan and a future that's intimately connected with him. So, wherever you sit this morning, Jesus is here. Wherever you sit, God has a plan. He has hope and a future and a plan for you. He's here to give you direction. He's here to give you proof that he loves you. And you have proof of that in front of you. It's called the Bible. It's God's love letter to each one of us. And it's proof that he cares for this community that he cares about some little white church in the middle of nowhere in some small town in the middle of Indiana or on the edge to care about a little community of 350 people in a county of 18,000 people. He's put people where he needs them to be for the right time to serve his purposes and follow his will. He, he's waiting for us to say, I'm in, I'm all in. Let's do this. So, he loves you and he desires for you to see that fresh move of him. He's here to redeem and give a do-over through the grace that only he can give us. Because in many ways, when we think, okay, it's over, there's nothing left to do, God says, I'm just getting started. Let's do this. So, as we close out our time of teaching this morning, I want to encourage you to ask God that question. Where do I sit this morning? Am I in the same place as the disciples? Am I in the same place as the son or the widow? What do I need to hear from you this morning, God? What, how can I hear and be stirred to something fresh? Something that's raised up and ready to go for a new chapter. What do you need to show me? What, what am I seeking in this community that, that I'm missing that you're ready to show me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and for the time that we can uh, gather to be encouraged by the raising of this son that was left for dead and see that uh, God is ready to renew and restore and give hope in a community that's long forgotten. Uh, help us to learn in Bloomingdale from the little town of Nain that uh, will we'll forever go on in infamy in the best kind of way. That it's set down with a marker that says, Jesus raised the dead here. Lord, help us to have that same kind of marker in Bloomingdale that says, Jesus raised the spiritually dead here. In your name I pray.